on this episode of Stall Talks. I talk a little bit about the Masters. Not a little bit. I talk a lot about the Masters and the mystique of Tiger Woods and what happens to golf without Tiger Woods. Furthermore, we dive into NBA playoff kind of preview. We talk about which teams really stand a chance against the Nets because, let's be real, the Nets are the team to beat right now. We finish up about NCAA basketball. What did the season bring to us? Does Gonzaga really have a hope for the future even after making the national championship again? It's a unique podcast episode you do not want to miss. So let's get started with one of the greatest intros to any sporting event, the Masters theme music. Let's go. to let that play a little bit longer that's just such a great intro what is up everyone and welcome to another episode of stall talks i am of course your host jack may and this week it's just me yep no david this week unfortunately but that's the world we live in with covid happening so since it's my show today i don't have david to bounce off any ideas with i figured why not talk about something that's near and dear to my heart and of course that is the great great sport of golf we are in the midst of a great masters weekend and i'll be completely honest with you it's great golf uh like i said i i think this is a a great weekend of golf that we haven't seen in a while let's see how many times i could say great in one sentence but in all honesty the mystique of the masters i didn't realize how tied to tiger woods it is and that's disappointing I mean, we all know about the tragic accident that uh, Tiger Woods endured a couple months ago, uh, wrecking his car and getting severe leg damages. Again, our everyone here at Stall Talks, our, our thoughts and prayers are with him. We, the sport of golf needs him back. But going back to the Masters, it's just a weird dynamic watching golf's greatest event without Tiger Woods. And I know, I know, it's it's me kind of just <clears throat> regurgitating what everyone else is thinking. But I'm sitting here on my couch this this afternoon, sitting there watching golf. And I'm like, yeah, this is cool. Watching Bryson DeChambeau hit the ball 400 yards or whatever. Seeing uh, Tommy Fleetwood on the first day of the tournament hitting a hole in one. Yeah, that's cool. But there's just this mystique of knowing that wherever he's placed, Tiger Woods has a chance. And, you know, you look at modern golf and you don't see that anymore. You don't see a player where it's like wherever he's wherever he's positioned, he still has a chance. As long as he's in the running, he's in the running. He could still win it. And that's, I don't know. I, 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 I That's one of the greatest things about growing up with Tiger Woods in golf was like we had that one guy like he could be six shots down on a Sunday. But when he puts that Tiger Woods red polo on, you know, oh, crap. This could be it. Tiger Wood, this is Tiger Woods tournament. I mean, you just never counted Tiger Woods out. Now, I, I don't want to take that away from, you know, like the the Deschambeaux or the Tony Finaus or <clears throat> whoever you want to put into that. Jordan Spieth, you know, is finally starting to have a resurgence. But I just I just don't think anyone's ever gonna reach that level like Tiger Woods did in golf. I mean he, he's done something that no other sport has ever seen. 
Now, granted, golf is a one-person sport, so granted, he's going to have that benefit than, say, like a Michael Jordan or LeBron James would because they're playing, uh, you know, a team sport. But you look at, like, tennis, I mean, it's always been Rafa, you know, you got Djokovic. There's always been, you know, a battle of supremacy between two or three guys. It's never been one guy is the guy. And uh, I know I'm forgetting one. Oh my gosh, the Swiss guy. I I know I'm missing his name, and people are gonna butcher me for it. It'll come to me. But it's just it's the reality is is like Tiger Woods has set a trend inside of a the sports world, especially for my generation that I don't think we'll ever see again. Sure, Tom Brady's been great, but like let's be all real. Like he had great coaching for his first couple championships. He was the reason they won the next couple championships. But then he's also had defenses carry him into the last couple championships. So it's never been just Tom Brady's dominance. It's He's just kind of <clears throat> attracted players to come play with him as well. And it's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of my butt and I'm just saying stuff. You know, this is stall talk. So, you know, we're going to have some really crappy takes. But I, my reality is, is like Tiger Woods is doing something, did something. Because we don't even know if he'll be able to come back and play ever again. That we just won't see again. And it's it's definitely something I don't want to take lightly. I I want to keep the 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 mystery of it in discussion because I I don't want my kids to grow up in a world because I don't I, I just I I can't stop thinking about the fact is that no one's gonna do what he did, and for me that is such a cool experience to live with. Like I granted you know growing up in the nineties uh, in the early two thousands like my childhood I didn't really focus on golf because. You know, I, there's very few kids who really do that. And that's mostly because their parents are forcing it on. But, you know, I always knew Tiger Woods, golf, that's the guy. He's the guy who's going to break the Jack Nicholas record of 18 championships. He's the guy who's going to break the 82 wins on the PGA Tournament. Like, he was the guy. No matter what. Like, you knew who Tiger Woods was. I feel like Tiger Woods was more well-known than a lot of American sports celebrities, including Tom Brady. Just because golf was such a more world-renowned sport than even football was, or even basketball was at the time. So more people knew who Tiger Woods was, and, you know, especially with his endorsements with multiple top-tier corporations, you know, that only made the mystique of who he was even bigger because it's like, man, this guy, he, he can get sponsorships with anyone. And it's just, I don't know, it just was a, it's a sad moment. To watch that, like, you know, back in 2011 when he had all those surgeries, we were like, oh, Tiger Woods was done. But then, you know, two years ago, he won the Masters, and it's like, oh, the mystique of Tiger's back. You know, even players were admitting it's like, with Tiger back on the tournament, they're always looking over their shoulders. But when he's not there, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it feels like a different sport. And I, I don't want to spend this whole episode speaking on that, but... I just, it was something that I noticed today, and I just, it was a, it definitely took me back. I don't know. What, what are your guys' thoughts? Feel free to send it to us on Twitter. Um, we're very active on Twitter. Uh, not as much on Instagram or Facebook, because let's be real, Facebook is dying. And Instagram, you know, you guys really don't want to see our ugly faces. You want to just hear us and make fun of us, and it's, it's all our hot takes, you guys disperse. I know I've had multiple people already reach out to me, and, uh, 
disagree with what we said, but guess what, guys? That's the purpose of Stall Talks. Like, we just want to have fun and, you know, ha- get people thinking about different aspects of sports. And, like, for me, I want to talk about basketball again. And I know that you guys are like, oh, my gosh, all you talk about is basketball. Where's football? Where's baseball? Well, in all sincerity, like, first off, it's too early to even really talk about baseball. Like, yes, it's great. It's back. We can watch it. But, like, it's really hard to gauge what teams look like. You know, you got my Tigers, who are 3-3 three and three of this recording. Well, 3-4, and four, excuse me. You got Baltimore, who's 500. You know, you got the Rangers, who are 500. It's just, you can't gauge that because I don't think that's a sustainable uh, sign of success for baseball. And then football, I mean, once we get to draft week, yeah, draft week, we're going to be definitely big into football. But... You know, right now, it's, it's the focus is basketball. I mean, we have so much unique things happening. You know, we see a Lakers team that is just collapsing without Anthony Davis and the and LeBron. It's just, oh, it's weird because, like, in, inside of a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, they are the perfect complementary players. But without them, they are collapsing. And it's just weird. But, like, we've... <clears throat> Excuse me. Like we've seen with other LeBron-led teams, like they're built to succeed around LeBron. They are not built to succeed without LeBron. Oh my goodness! I apologize, guys. People are just being annoying with text messages, but it's just the reality behind everything is that that's why LeBron is successful. And you know, a lot of people are going to dispute the fact is like, oh, LeBron picks and chooses his roster. That's why he he does so well. Well, duh. Like you think Michael Jordan would have wouldn't have fought for Dennis Rodman if he didn't think he would succeed on a roster with him? Like this is the stupidest statement you can make. Is like, oh, LeBron's trying to make super teams, okay? Because he's trying to win championships. Of course he is trying to. So you see these t- these teams that just do not succeed without their star players, and I think that's the reality of everything. Is the NBA league is being driven by its star players. Being a role player, yes, it's still it's still a very profitable business, but you, you're not going to see the 2004 uh, Pistons winning championships anymore. I honestly think that's an era that's too full, dead and gone. There's just you won't see teams win as just a team. Like even even the great uh, Spurs teams. I mean, they had Tim Duncan, they had uh, Ginobili, they had Tony Parker, they had the Boris Diaz, like. Those were all all-star players. Actually, I, I don't know if Boris Diaz was an all-star. But he was basically the Draymond Green before Draymond Green. And that's the reality behind it. It's like you, these teams are the only way to win championships is to have two or three stars anymore. That's the reality behind it. You can't win it with a bunch of Joe Schmoes that work w- really well together. I mean, that's just the reality behind it. Sure, you can make the playoffs. Sorry, guys, if I sound super stuffy, I'm still fighting off... Uh, uh, pretty nasty cold, so I apologize if I make some kind of gross noises. I'm trying to limit it as much as possible. Anyways, sure, you can definitely make the playoffs with a team of Joe Schmoes that work really well together. I mean, you looked at it before Jokic became an um, freaking all-NBA player. Like, that Denver team was constantly in the playoffs, but they just were, didn't have the firepower to, to reach it. And obviously, Jokic finally is realizing his potential, and he's become that star player but you look at what they're trying to surround him with is these you know second tier stars like the Aaron Gordons you know um that they're they're building a team that will succeed around their stars and that's the reality behind it 
Uh, you just cannot win in the NBA without two or three stars. And as much as I hate, hate what the Nets have done, I get it. Because that's that's what win championships now. And they're, the Nets' windows is so tight. I mean, sure, Kyrie Irving, I think it's, what, 28? But you got James Harden, who's pushing 32. You got uh, Kevin Durant, who is 32. You got Blake Griffin, who's 32. You got DeAndre Jordan, who is 32 or 33. Like, that window is tightening every year. And sure, I think Durant, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he only has one more year on his contract. So we, we've seen how loosey-goosey Durant is. Like, we don't even know if he'll stay there for another year. So it's the reality behind it is like, hey, this is now or never. Let's throw whatever money, resources, time, whatever we have at bringing in these players who can thrive around our players. And it's the reality is it's working. Like, uh, you look at Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin went from shooting 36% with the Pistons and now he's shooting 60% with the Nets. I mean, that is just a perfect example. And here I am giving him Blake Griffin credit, but whatever. That's just a perfect example of finding a player who works around your role players. Like, Blake Griffin is a great stretch five, and that's what he's going to be probably forced into with the Nets. And that's going to work because, A, it's going to take a lot of pressure off their big three, and, B, it's that's his natural position that he should be constantly playing in the modern NBA. And it works. I mean, you look at the same thing with LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge was stretched as a... As a uh, as a five with the Spurs and sure, like they they try to you know take some of that pressure off and let him play the four, but he was a natural four. Like he just he's a mid range shooter. He plays so much better when he's at the high post. And that that the thing is, him and Blake Griffin are interchangeable. So basically, they just boosted their front court depth after they lost to uh, Jared Allen to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it's it's just made him a nasty team. And in all reality, it. Because they're a much more healthy team and they're becoming healthier and they're going to have time to build that camaraderie before the playoffs, not like the the Lakers are going to be able to because LeBron and AD's health is still in question. They're the team to beat. I think that's the reality behind it. Yeah, you sure you got Giannis and the Bucks who are great this year, but they don't have that superstar depth. They don't have that name player, like I said with the Tiger Woods, where he has this mystique where people still look over their shoulder just because it's the LaMarcus Aldridge, the Blake Griffin, where like they can still go off for 30 in a night and still shoot 11 for 14 from the field. like They still have that mystique, which, you know, in playoff time, that is super valuable. You think about it, like playoffs are built on not just experience, but on a fear, like a, a fear from the other team that you if you can if you can utilize that fear, it's an, it's like having a six man on the court. I mean, who who wouldn't be scared of the the odds of facing a, a Nets team that's going to be putting out a Kyrie Irving, a James Harden, a Kevin Durant, a Joe Harris? Don't sleep on Joe Harris, one of the greatest shooters in the league right now, and a DeAndre Jordan, Lamarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, a bench like it's just uh, alternating four or five, whatever. <clears throat> it's a scary scary alternative to what. To what, whatever else the East has to offer. A broken down Boston team that has Jason Tatum and a couple other decent players. Uh, I'm, I, I, I have a hard time anointing anyone else on that team. Like Kemba Walker's decent. 
uh, it's just not a team that puts a lot of fear in you because they're so inconsistent. Whereas all those other players on the Nets, it's like, sure, if one's inconsistent, you still have four other top-tier players you have to worry about facing day in and day out. And it's not like you can double up on any of those players because if you double up on a James Harden, you're leaving Kyrie Irving open on 101. If you double up on the, either of those, you're leaving Joe Harris, one of the greatest shooters in the league right now, wide open for easy threes. It's just a scary alternative, whereas like you look at the West. Honestly, the most rounded team is the Suns. I think the reality is behind that, you know, you have experienced leadership on that team. You have shooters. You have depth. You have you have things that are going to help. And as much as people want to criticize Chris Paul in playoff time, I mean, he still brings he still brings this maturity to this team that the obviously the Suns have been lacking. And I think it's only going to make these players around him even better. And yeah, the Nuggets are good. I don't want to sleep on them, but the reality is, is they always seem to be missing that one extra, you know, ga- uh, push on the gas pedal at the time when it matters. And then everything else, I think, is kind of just noise. Like the Jazz, I the Jazz to me are the the bucks of the the uh, the West this year. And I say that because I think that they're a great, well-rounded team. They have two great players that they could build around, but excuse me, they they just don't have that one person that has that <clears throat> killer instinct that can carry them. And like, sure, you, you'll come at me and say, well, what about Donovan Mitchell? I think Donovan Mitchell gets a lot more credit for what he does during the regular season and I, I it, for me it's very hard, and it, it puts me puts me into this perspective puts me to puts me in this box to think this way. And I, I apologize if anyone you know what I'm not gonna apologize, but I have a hard time rooting for a player who puts up 30 shots a, a, a night and averages about 13 or 14 makes like that. To me, is not a good player. That is just a person who cares about padding their stats. Like for me, you take away you know let's say you take 10 shots away and you're focusing on finding the open man because at that point you're still shooting 21 shots a night. Like that's a that's LeBron level shooting night still. LeBron at his peak averaged 21 shots and I believe that was in 2006. He didn't shoot more than 21 shots a night on average. And that's that's where it comes to me like what makes a great player even better is like they realize it's not about the volume, it's about hey, I'm taking pressure off of my other players. So that they can thrive around me. And I don't think Donovan Mitchell, oh my goodness, has understood that yet. I still think he's in this mindset of, uh, I got to shoot a lot because there's not no one else is going to shoot on my team. I got Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley who are you know great players in their own right. But they don't look for their own shot. Whereas Donovan Mitchell is looking for a shot. So he thinks he has to carry the burden of the offense. When in reality it's like, nah man, like... You're a great player. You can make these players better around you, and you win more games. And I think that you you saw that in last year's playoffs when he was fighting against um. Oh my gosh, on the Nuggets, I'm drawing a blank. But he he struggled against uh them because the excuse me the Jazz struggled against the Nuggets because he thought he had to put up 50 points a night. And I think a lot of the reason he thought he had to do that was because no one else was making shots. But in reality, it was. He was taking so much attention from the defense 
Sure, some of his guys had bad shooting nights, but like he took so much attention away from everyone else on the defense. If he would just make a couple more passes, like there would have been more scoring opportunities on that team. And I think that he need if the moment he can realize that he goes from that great to superstar potential. But I think he has to learn that on his own. Like I can say all I want about this to him, but he's got to be the one who has to realize like. Hey, I don't gotta put up thirty shots. My the Jazz have put players around me to help me succeed. I can start, you know, relegating. But he's gotta build that trust with these other players. Because if he doesn't build that trust, then there's nothing gonna happen. That's just my take. And again, you know, we're not a bas- we're not a basketball only podcast. <coughs> Excuse me. But me and David are obviously always going to lean more talking about basketball because that's that that is our sport that is our first love you know we're always going to feel that way but we also will talk football and baseball I don't want you guys to always think that we're just going to pigeonhole ourselves and just talking on one topic you know we will we will always cater to what the moment is calling for and right now it's basketball I don't want to hit more on the Houston Texan situation with Deshaun Watson. I think what we talked about last week was great. I think that we we have to wait and see before we can really criticize any of the situation. Again, you know, what's happening off the field, we can't judge him as a player. He's a great player, but he could be a terrible person. And I think we keep that separate. We're going to be fine. But I say that if, if any of this comes out true, he should never touch football ever again because he's a that would be – very disgusting of a person what else is happening in the world of sports we were looking around we got masters talked about that we talked a little a little nba i mean we could talk ncaa i i think that you know we finished up the season this year and i i think it went exactly how everyone expected it to to finish with a baylor versus gonzaga uh championship i don't think there was any surprise there if there was any surprise this year it was just the the fall of the blue blood programs you know we didn't see a lot of strength from Kansas, Duke, Michigan State, um, Arizona. A lot. Of, we got lucky at the end because of UCLA. You know, UCLA coming in as an 11 seed, going away to Final Four. But everyone was talking about how they were they collapsed at the end of the year. I mean, that was four. They lost four out of five games to end the year, and and they came in as the first four with Michigan State. Nobody expected that out of them. I mean, it was. The biggest draw this season was was like, oh crap, this is anyone's game if Baylor or Gonzaga doesn't win it. Fortunately, it was very easy for us at the end to see it was it was Baylor versus Gonzaga. Honestly, you watch that game, Baylor definitely was the better team that night. But I I say it as I I, I say it truthfully, uh, Gonzaga was was the best team this year. I mean, they had so much talent on their their roster. I think it's it'll be interesting to see how they recover from this. I mean, it's just it's another strike on uh, Mark Few's record uh, as the coach of Gonzaga. Sure, he brought them from a team that almost got relegated to Division Two in 1999 to a team that's a national championship contender every year. But it comes down to it. I think they're pigeonholing themselves by playing in the conference they are in. And I don't know if that's by choice because they know they can dominate and, and stay relevant and still keep getting those one seeds every each year in the NCAA tournament because they're coming in as 
32 and 0, you know, 30 and 1 one year and then it was I think it was 29 and 3 the, the like the year before that. I mean, it's it's hard to lose when your main competitor is St. Mary's in the whack. But I think the reality is they have to look at surrounding their schedule with better talent throughout the year so they're not just playing down to their talent for, you know, the last 2 3 months of the year. I think that hurts them because then they go into the tournament. I mean, we always see them in the first game. They always struggle against the 16th seed for the first half. And, I mean, they eventually can blow them out. But they always struggle because it's it's tournament time. So all these teams are coming in with their, their best game plan against Gonzaga. And, sure, you can say the WAC does that. But the WAC never has that talent level that can reach them. Whereas, you know, everyone in the NCAA tournament is there for a reason. They're good teams. They're bringing out their best game plan. They they know what Gonzaga's game plan is because they watched them for 33 games. Whereas, you know, you got the Hartfords or the <laughs> uh, the Oral Roberts coming in who are, nobody's really watched them all year, so they don't really know what they're coming at them. I mean, sure, you get a week of game time, uh, game film to go over all, everything, but everyone's watching get Gonzaga games, so they all know what the uh, game plan against them. And I think that... Gonzaga's got to realize during the middle of the year, you start scheduling some more Power 5 teams. I think that you start splitting, trying to find a way to split up your schedule that way. Try to schedule some SEC, you know, Pac-12, Big 10 games in the middle of the year. <clears throat> Excuse me. You, it's very hard. I say this with experience. It's very hard to play in a conference where you're head and shoulders above everyone else, quite literally, with the depth of that team, and then come in and play against someone who's close to your level. Because it's it's like playing with a bunch of fifth graders and then, oh, now I'm going to play a varsity game. Like, that's the reality behind it. That's what they're doing. Yeah, you can, like, making, you know, 10, 15 mistakes a game is fine. You're like, you're not criticizing that as much. You know, I think Mark Few does a better job than what I'm giving him credit for. I definitely think he does criticize those mistakes. But at the end of the day, you can make those 10, 15 mistakes against the WAC conference. But you you don't make, you can't make 15 mistakes against any competition in an NCAA tournament. You're limited to 7 and 8 max. I mean, anything above that, and you're basically turning over the game. I mean, you looked at what Ohio State against Oral Roberts, like that's what was their Achilles heel is. They just made too many mistakes, whereas Oral Roberts capitalized them and tried to limit their mistakes. I mean, that's the reality behind it. It's not a, it's not a uh, best out of three tournament. It's you get a one chance. It doesn't matter if that got that team will you would beat ninety nine out of a hundred times. If that hundredth time comes up and they have their best game plan against you, you're gonna lose. And I think Gonzaga's got to come in with a mindset like that. And I don't even know if it's a possibility for them to move up to a bigger conference. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think they even have a football team. If they, I, I believe they did at one point, but I don't think they do. And I think to be part of the Pac-12, I feel like you need to have a football team. That's the reality behind it. But again, you think about it. This team 22 years ago was almost a D2 school. And now look where they're at now. Like perennial, they're the with the Villanovas, you know. The Dukes normally, like, they're there every year as being discussed as, hey, this t- this could be the team that actually wins it all. That's just that's just my take on Gonzaga. No, no, I'm not taking anything away from Baylor. Baylor came out hot. They knew what to do against Baylor. I mean, against Gonzaga. 
and they they dominated that game from from the tip off. It was it was a sight to see. I I am very grateful for it. I'm very grateful that we have any sports after this chaos of the coronavirus. So having March Madness again, I feel like brought a sense of uh, normalcy back to us. So again, that was just something I'm very grateful for. I mean, let's be real. Like sports sports give us a an air of calmness too. It's it's nice to be able to go out and realize like, all right, I gotta work eight hours today, but at the end of the day, I can watch two hours of football while I'm on my Peloton machine. Like that's just the reality behind it. Like that's a nice feeling to have again. And I, last year was a struggle for me. I'm not gonna lie. I'm sure it was a struggle for a lot of you guys. Uh, not having sports is uh, it's an uncomfortable time, and I, I'm not saying I'm over here like relying on it. Like I need to watch two hours of sports every night, or my brain like ah, I can't think. No, it's just the fact is like sports gives us comfort. It gives us a chance to criticize other people. Let's be real. Why do you think I'm in front of a mic? I, I like to criticize other people on sports. It gives us a chance to uh, to have hope. It gives us a chance to believe. It's something that. We need as a human being, it gives us a, a chance to to hold on to something, have a purpose. And it, it's something, I don't know, it's, it's a great feeling. I, I'm not trying to get all here, uh, hobo, jobo, whatever you want it to be. I just love that we have sports again. And I'm really hoping that everyone starts taking this coronavirus seriously. We all start trying to get our vaccination so we can you know, have a sense of normalcy. We can go back to stadiums. Not like, not look like those idiots at Texas Ranger Stadium without our mask on when there's still, you know, uh, one fourth of our nation hasn't been vaccinated. Like, I, we need to be smart about this, guys. Like, otherwise, we're gonna lose sports again. And I'm not here to preach you at you or anything. Like, you don't have to get the vaccination, but just be smart. Still wear that mask. Like, let's limit the uh, the chances for the spreading. I mean, I wanna, I wanna go to sporting events, guys. I wanna. Be able to go to basketball games and, and, you know, cheer on with people. One of the greatest feelings about sports is when you go and watch your team and they win and you're just cheering with random strangers. You create this weird bond with a person you've never even spoken to or had any interactions with and you get to celebrate with them. I want that back, guys. And for me, it, it starts with me. I have to myself be more purposeful in protecting other people. But I just... I. If you listen to this, I, I just want you guys to, you know, be more cognizant of it. That's just the reality behind it. But since it's just me, I'm going to try to wrap it up around 30 minutes today, guys. I appreciate you guys listening as always. Be sure to check us out on infopilgrims.com. We have our own section now. It's it's under uh, Stall Talks. You'll have all the descriptions. Please check us out on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you guys listen. Please leave us a rating. It helps us tremendously. We want to get more people listening. We want to have more interactions with you guys so feel free to send us stuff at you know uh, you can send it to us at info at whiskey barrel productions.com um that uh, maybe you maybe you should send it to just send it to me at jacques at info pilgrims.com i'll probably be the best way send me send me your listener questions i i want to know what you guys are thinking tell me the things i said wrong hey if i'm wrong i'm going to be the first to admit it i want to be right when I speak to you guys. Again, appreciate you guys listening. Until next week, peace.
Rock and roll.